We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 18, uh, which might be quite a familiar passage. So if you have a Bible, do open up to Jeremiah chapter 18. And um, this is uh, the picture that we're given of God as the potter and us as the clay. And so I brought a potter with me. And um, what we're going to do, we're going to just kind of read bits of this story, try and understand it, uh, try and see what, uh, what God is teaching us in our lives. And so let's start with um, Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house and there... I will let you hear my words. So God says to Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and watch the potter. And while you're there, I'm going to talk to you. And um, again, God is going to speak to Jeremiah through a really everyday thing. Every village had a potter's house in it. So for us, it would be like God saying, go down to Tesco, you know, or go down to the fish and chip shop on the corner. And there, I'm going to speak to you. And so it's a really everyday thing that you're going to look at, but I'm going to speak to you about something really profound and really deep. And God has the ability to do that, to take something that's really everyday, really normal in our lives, but through that to speak into us in a way that really affects us deeply. And um, we're actually expecting that, that God will do that today amongst us, if you have ears to hear and so because of that, we're going to do what we've been told here. Arise and go down to the potter's house and expect me to speak to you. That's what we're going to do. So let's pray as we go down to the potter's house and let's expect God to speak to us. And so, mighty Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the things in this story today that we're going to learn about you and about ourselves. And we just pray, come Holy Spirit, be the water that is splashed on us the way a potter splashes water on the clay. Make us soft and malleable in your hands. Lord, I pray that even as we look at this passage of Scripture, your strong hands would come upon our lives and that you would shape us as you want and that you would form us into the kind of people that you really want us to be. I pray that as we're in this moment together, you would actually be doing the things that we're reading about. God, that's what we believe about your word. Let it be an experience for us. Almighty Potter, put your hands on our humble clay, I, I pray. Shape us, teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And God is going to speak uh, again to Jeremiah about the, the, the one consistent theme that he has in his whole life and ministry, which is about endings and beginnings. So we've said Jeremiah basically has one message for 40 years, which is there's an end coming to everything that we know, to our nation, to Jerusalem as the capital city, to the worship of God in this temple. This whole thing that we know and love is going to end. God is going to fold it down. 
because he's making space for something new and different. The new covenant is going to emerge. The, the, the worship of God that isn't centered on one city and one temple, but is open to all people from all nations. The worship of God that's going to be by the Spirit and across the world through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the whole message of Jeremiah for his whole life is there's an end coming. Why? Because there's a beginning coming. The old is going because the new is coming. And this message that he's going to see today in the potter's house is going to be exactly the same. He's saying the same thing for 40 years. He's just finding different creative ways of expressing it, but it's the same message. And so verse 3, so I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working on his wheel. We don't have a wheel, but you know. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and so he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. So the potter had made something beautiful, a lovely pot, a lovely jug, but there was something about it that wasn't working, that wasn't right, it was spoiled, there was a problem, and so the potter just smushed it down. I mean, that's like... Painful. I can see Jess twitching. She's like, oh, no, that was so nice. Just smushed it down. It didn't go where the potter's hands were guiding. It wasn't responding in the right way. And so the potter said, okay, I'm going to fold it all back in again. And then I'm going to start again and make it into something slightly different. And Jeremiah's watching, and I wonder what he's thinking while he's watching. He's thinking, man, that seems, that's tough, eh? You've been working on that for ages, and then it's not, it's not quite right, so I'm going to smush it down, bring it to an end, fold it back in, and then start again. And this picture of God as a potter, it runs all the way through Scripture, right from the beginning. So Genesis chapter 2 And verse 7, we read, The Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and so the man became a living creature. And this word formed, it's the Hebrew word for potter. So the Lord God pottered the man out of the dust and made a man and then breathed into him and became a living being. And so right at the beginning, we see that God is the potter and we are the clay. And this story, it's our story. And Isaiah 45 and verse 9, Isaiah said, Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. You know, does the clay go, Oi, Potter, what are you making me into? I don't want to be like this. I wish I had some handles. (laughs) You know, God gave me handles. Uh, Maybe I wish I didn't have them. But, you know, I think there's this... There's this thing of, can the clay actually say to the potter, Oi, potter, what are you doing? You know, when the potter's doing the the smashing and the smushing and the kneading and the beating, and we're there going, whoa, this is painful, what are you doing? Or when the potter's breaking bits off to make the clay into what he wants, we're like, whoa, why are you breaking? I liked that bit of my life. Why are you breaking that bit off me? You know, and so Isaiah says, can clay actually moan to the potter and go, Oi, I thought my life was going to look, you know, look at all those beautiful clay jugs over there. Why, are you made, why do I look like this? 
You know, I'm just this lumpy, bumpy bit of clay. Potter, what are you doing? And Job uh, says this, Job 33 and 6, Behold, I'm toward God just like you are. I too was pinched off from a lump of clay. So he's just saying, we're all the same. Wherever you came from, we've all actually come from the same place. We're just a lump of clay. And God is doing something with us. Did you know that... um, Pottery changed the world. So people were nomadic because they were always moving from water source to water source. But when we invented pottery, it meant that we could hold water. It meant that we could stay in a place off-season. So it meant that we could start building villages and towns. And it made us a settled people. Pottery did that for us. And um, did you know that because... The idea of art was a a luxury, Um, really. You weren't going to carry paintings around with you. You know, people with pottery not only made something useful, but they could also make something beautiful. The the potter could express their personality through through the bit of clay. So, you know, you end up with one potter went, oh, I want to put a little, um, little bit of stripes on my pot. And then another potter went, oh, well, I've got an idea. I'm going to make a pot that's this shape instead. You know, and so people started expressing their... Per- so it's both functional and beautiful, both practical and artistic. And it's a chance for the potter to express something of themselves through the clay. And the idea of taking the, a kind of lumpety, bumpety slab of useless clay and then putting it on a wheel and working it and beating it and shaping it into something that's both useful and beautiful. It's an incredible picture of the way God relates to people. Making something out of our lives that that is useful, that can hold something, that can offer something to the world, but also making something out of our lives where he can express his personality through us, where he can display his beauty through us so that we are God's workmanship as we read in Ephesians 2. And um, also, did you know that the clay that they would get to make pots from, you'd actually go down to the swamp at the edge of the river and get it. It's the, you know, the miry clay, he lifted me from the miry clay. It's this kind of slimy, nasty bit of the river that's useful for nothing else. And, And that's our story as well, isn't it? God went and got us from the swamp. Big lump of useless clay breathed on us, put his hands on us, make something beautiful out of our lives. And so Jeremiah's watching, and um, the potter had made something and then smushed it all down and then started making something a little bit different from the same lump of clay. And then the word of the Lord came to me. So now God's going to speak to Jeremiah about this. And he said, O house of Israel, verse 6, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And so now Jeremiah is prophesying, but he's prophesying the same thing that he's been prophesying all along. Hey, Jerusalem, just like you're not fit for purpose, and God is going to send the Babylonians, and he's going to tear down your walls, and he's going to burn you with fire and fold you up. And it's going to be the end of your beloved city, Jerusalem. 
there's going to be a horrible ending that comes to this nation and it's decreed and it's going to happen. Why? Because it's not fit for purpose, because you're not living in a way that honors God and serves him and looks after the poor and some of the things that we've heard over the last few weeks. You're not showing what it is to know God. But also because God has a bigger purpose here. God's plan was never just for Jerusalem. It was never just for Israel. God wanted to fold that up so that out of the same idea, out of the same lump of clay, out of the same DNA, out of the same faith in the one God, he could make something new, something different, something that's open to all nations, to all peoples. So you never have to go to Jerusalem. So you never have to learn Hebrew or become Jewish because it's open to all people, the worship of the one true God in the Spirit. And friends, in a sense, that is the difference for us between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're made of the same stuff, but it's like there was, a, there was a vessel that was the Old Testament when you read it to carry the presence of God. But God's plan was always to fold that down and make something very different in the New Testament, open to all the world, open even to English, even to English people, right? <laughs> something that, that displays his beauty and that carries his presence, a, a different kind of vessel. And so the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's made of the same stuff, but it's a very different shape. And it's the new covenant, the covenant of grace, the covenant that's expressed through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And so what you've got is you've got uh, continuity and discontinuity at the same time. It's continuous because the same God is at work on the same stuff, but it's discontinuous because he's folded up the old and he's brought in the new. And you know, it, everything in the kind of seasons of our Christian life has both this continuity and this discontinuity. I thought that's why the, the prophetic word that Jess shared was so profound, where she's saying, I'm looking around the room and I can see uh, clothes from different seasons of my life being worn by different people that have found their way into the economy of the church and circulated around. That's what, that's what happens in churches, right? You visit someone's house and you're like, that's my stuff. <laughs> that's what we do. Um, but she's going, but those were from a different season of my life, but it's so good to see them being put to use now. And I think it's a profound reflection on the fact that we have seasons in our life as we follow Jesus that are both continuous with who we've always been. We're made of the same stuff, but they're also discontinuous because God does different things in the different seasons of our lives. There's been, um, there's been three times in my life when I've moved to England. In all three of the times I didn't want to move to England, I was reluctantly moved to England. But every time God was deconstructing what I was and then doing something else. The first was when I was 16 and I moved from Cyprus where I grew up to England. Didn't want to. Um, had to move here. I was 16. I got expelled from school. None of the other schools in Cyprus would take me because it's a small place and they all talk to each other. They're like, no one wants this kid. Um, and so I had to move to England by myself at 16. And essentially, God deconstructed everything that my life had been, folded it all up and started making something new. When I was 19, I'd been living in India. I moved from India to England. And um, again, I, I was quite enjoying who I was in India. God then folded all of that up again, started building something new. And then when we were 37, we moved from Istanbul to England. 
to Reading. Didn't want, no offense, didn't want to come here. Um, there's not many people that are in Reading because they really chose to be in Reading. Um, and again, God took everything that we were in Istanbul, folded it all up, and started rebuilding again. And so three times in my life, I've been through this kind of monstrous deconstruct and reconstruct, and the pot is going to the pot. Oh, what are you doing? I liked, who I, I liked where I was. I liked who I was. But we trust him because he's got a plan for our lives that's better than our plan for our lives because he's the potter and we're the clay. And you know, when you, when you get born again, when you come to Jesus for the first time and you put your life in his hands and you go, I, I thought that I was shaping my own life. I've realized how ridiculous it is for clay to try and shape itself. And so I surrender myself, my, my lump of bumpety, lumpety, thumpety clay into your hands. Do with me what you want, God. And we're born again. What he does is he starts to make something new with our lives, something beautiful, something profound, something both useful and that displays his heart. And it's both continuous with who we were before, but it's also radically new. So when I was born again, in that moment, I got up from praying I'm still called Andy. I've still got the same face. But inside, I'm radically new, a different person. And the scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And actually, that's what God wants to do with each one of us here today. He wants to say, to you, to me. Are you pleased with how it's working out? Is it going well? <laughs> Maybe you are. But I could do something so much more wonderful. Maybe you're not. Just give yourself to me. I'm a skillful potter with a great plan. And I'll fold it all up, and it might be a bit painful, and I might break some bits off. It might be a difficult experience, but there's an ending and then there's a beginning, something new, something different, something beautiful. That's what God does with people. And you know, at the end of the world, that's what God's going to do with the world as we know it. He's gonna, there's going to be an ending. Jesus will come back. He will fold everything up. There'll be an ending to all of it. And then he'll use the same stuff and create something new. And beautiful. We read about this in 2 Peter 3.13. But according to his promise, we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So at the moment, we've got a heavens and an earth that's like a pot that's full of pain and mess and evil. And God is going to one day fold it all up and then make a new pot that's full of righteousness. That's what it says. That's full of beauty and hope and we're going to live there with him forever we'll be part of that new universe that he makes beautifully eh? and so so often for God to do something new in your life 
all it takes is everything that you are so far. You want God to do something new in your life? The, the, only, the only cost is put everything that you are so far into his hand. And he can reshape and do it again. It's beautiful, eh? And so then uh, this moment that Jeremiah is having with God in the potter's house, watching the skillful potter at work, God continues to speak and says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I've spoken turns from its evil, I will relent, I'll change my mind of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Verse 9, and if at any time I declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent, I will change my mind of the good that I had intended to do to it. So there's two kind of scenarios here, and what they tell us is this, your responsiveness as the clay can change the potter's mind. And, and, and this is beautiful, and we're going to look at it, because the potter is working, but the potter is not just going, I've decided before I started, this is where I'm going to get to, and I'm going to force you into that shape, whether you respond or not. What we see is, and apparently, this is what it's like for artists, I really wouldn't have a clue, but apparently artists are a lot more in dialogue with their material, and so they're, they're, they're responding to their material. And they go, I wanted to go this way, but the clay seems to want to go this way. So actually, I'm going to respond a little bit to that. I'm going to have a sensitivity, a dialogue to it. And um, uh, my wife, Jess, works with wood. And um, often she'll say things like, there'll be a bit of wood, and I won't go straight away, or oh, this is my plan for what I'm going to make out of that bit of wood. She'll start working on it. And then she'll realize, ah, this bit of wood was supposed to become a helicopter. Right? And actually, we were in a gallery one time, and she's there talking. I think she was just kind of showing off artist speak. I didn't really understand anything that happened that day. I was just waiting for the, you know, so we could go to the pub afterwards. Um, but she says to the gallery owner, that, oh, you work with wood, do you? And Jess was like, yes, yes, I work with wood. And, and she said, what I do is I look at a bit of wood and I wait for it to speak to me, and then I respond. I thought, wow, that's so um, pretentious. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Jessica McCulloch. But, um, you know, da, da Vinci, uh, when, when they said to Da Vinci about the statue of David that he'd made out of a single block of marble, and they're like, how did you, how, how did you start? How did you see... David in the block of marble. And da Vinci said this, he said, all I did was chip away everything that didn't look like David. And again, there's something wonderful about the artist, the potter, he's working on the clay, but our responsiveness to his hands is part of the conversation. And that is what we're told here in um, verses 7 to 10. He says, if I plan to make an ending, but then there's repentance, then I'll change my mind. 
And we see this, don't we, in the story of Jonah going to Nineveh, where Jonah goes to Nineveh, and God says, tell Nineveh that I'm going to destroy the city. So Jonah says, God says he's going to destroy your city because you're all evil. But then the Ninevites all repent. So God says, actually, I've changed my mind. They've repented. I'm not going to destroy the city. And Jonah's really upset. He's like, you're making me look like a false prophet. <laughs> I, told, I told them that they were going to die, but you seem to be forgiving them. And he's really angry about it. But God's like, well, I changed my mind because they repented. And he says in verses 9 and 10, if I plan to do something new, something wonderful, but then the people don't respond. They're stubborn and hard and brittle and they won't respond. Then I will change my mind. That's what he says here. And so it's actually really comforting, isn't it? That we're not talking about a hard sovereignty of God that says, I'm going to force you to be this. We're talking about clay, which is, it can be soft and malleable and responsive, especially if you keep splashing it with water, or it can be hard and brittle and obtuse and stubborn. And the potter is responding to how we respond to him. And so our lives are in dialogue with the hands of the potter. Does that make sense? And the, the, the word that's used here in both verse 8 and verse 10, I will relent or I will change my mind. The, the word in Hebrew is naham, which it, it's like it's a sigh. There's a sadness in it. It's onomatopoeic. It's naham. So there's a, it's a breathing out. It's an exhale. And and, and, you know, because there's always this big debate with kind of theologians. You know, can God actually change his mind? Doesn't he know everything? Uh, but there's something wonderful in this word where it's, it kind of says, with a, with a sadness, with an exhale, God will go, I was really hoping to do this, but you're not responding, my people. And so I'm going to change it a little bit. And there's something very personal about this, very sensitive. And so for us, pretty simple in a sense, you don't shape your life, God shapes you. You don't know what you'll be, but God knows, because he knows the future. But your responsiveness can change God's mind. If you're hard and brittle, if you're stubborn and unresponsive, if you're heavy and lumpy, then all the good that he wants to do in you and through you might not be possible. Uh, my, my dog uh, doesn't like going for walks. We got a dog because we thought maybe we'll have to go for walks. The dog likes watching football on the TV. I mean, what can I say? It's not my fault. And sometimes we tell the kids to take the dog for a walk, and he just goes, like, dead weight, heavy, like, you try and pick me up, you try and move. And the neighbors will go, I saw your kid trying to walk your dog, and they're literally dragging him along the road, and the dog's just like, not going, not going. And sometimes we can be like that with God, right? But if we're soft and supple and responsive and willing in his hands, 
and we let him splash the Holy Spirit on us to keep us soft and supple and responsive. And we're quick to listen and quick to repent and quick to be shaped and to be responsive to him. He could do anything with you. Something useful, something that carries something precious, this treasure in a jar of clay, as Paul calls it, but also something beautiful, something that displays his wisdom, his workmanship, that people look at it and go, wow, the person that made you must be really wise and really skilled. And it's all for his glory, right? And then our final verse here, uh, verse 18 we see the response of the elites in Jerusalem to Jeremiah's prophecy, as it always is all the way through his life. They are resistant. They don't like what he's saying. He says Jerusalem's going to be torn down because God's going to do something new and different. They say, we don't want it to be torn. We're quite happy with the status quo, thank you. We, don't, we, we benefit from this. And so then they said, verse 18, Come, let's make plots against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let's strike him with the tongue, and let's not pay any attention to any of his words. And so there's a resistance. We're very happy, thank you very much, with the way things are. Don't need God to mess around with us and to change us. And so often, if there is a resistance to God, it's because... We're happy with the status quo. But we're happy with the status quo because we don't imagine how it could be so much better. We're resistant because we're like, God, I'm quite happy with my shape, where I am in life now, my job, my family, my, my life. It's actually great, thank you. And I thought it was a blessing from you that I'm in this place. And God's going, maybe so. But man, I could do something so different, so much better, so much more beautiful, so much more useful. But sometimes there's a resistance because we're happy with the way things are. And that's what happened in Jerusalem and all the way through Jeremiah's ministry. People are like, we don't like this message because we're happy. And when we come to our Lord Jesus, who in so many ways... Uh, lived a life that was a bit like Jeremiah. Jesus, who was saying to the same city of Jerusalem, you know, your time is done. This temple's going to be torn down. This, this current system that you have is going to be dismantled. Why? Because God wants to do something so much bigger, so much more wonderful. God wants to do something for all the nations. And the status quo, those in power, they resisted Jesus. They, they met together. They took counsel together. They decided, let's put him to death. We don't like this message. We don't like the prophecy of endings and then beginnings. And so they resisted Jesus, just like they resisted Jeremiah. But also Jesus himself, who became flesh and, and chose to be like clay in the hands of his father, even though he's the eternal son and God is the eternal father. Jesus chooses to offer himself to the world as a vessel of God's grace. Jesus himself had to go through a death and a resurrection in order to bring grace to the whole world. Jesus himself had to be deconstructed on the cross. And, and, and there had to be an end to everything that Jesus was so that there could be a resurrection, a new life could come forth that, that could bring power to save people from all over the world, including people from England. Hallelujah. 
right? And so even in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus struggling with this. It's not an easy thing. Jesus is in Gethsemane. He knows that he's got to go to the cross and die. And he's saying, Father, could this cup be taken from me? Is there any other way of doing this? Yet not my will, but your will be done. Yes, not the will of the clay, but the will of the potter be done. Jesus shows us what it is to submit to the Father, even in death. The, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But Jesus puts his flesh, his lumpety, bumpety, thumpety flesh in the hands of the Father and says, Fine, Father, I offer myself to you that I might die on the cross for the sins of the world so that you could make something new and beautiful out of my life. There was nothing wrong with Jesus' life. It wasn't a death as a punishment. It wasn't a deconstruct because there was, Jesus was perfect. And yet still... The Father needs to put him to death on behalf of the sins of the world so that there can be something new, so that we can be built in to Jesus, so that together we're joined into the body of Christ to become his people, his body offered to the world, the gift of grace. Amen? And so what we're going to do now, it's really simple. We've got a moment of personal Response, perhaps the musicians could come. That would be great. And I just want to invite you, as Jeremiah was invited, to come to the potter's house this morning. I just want to invite you, as Jeremiah was invited, just to watch the work of God and to reflect, do I, as a lump of clay need to put myself in the hands of the potter again? Have I been resistant? Have I been stubborn? Am I in a new season of life where God is trying to reshape me, but I've been resisting it? Do I need to express my trust in the potter, in his wisdom, in his skill? This is a chance for us to respond, and this is how I'd like to do it. If we could stand, please. I just want to invite you Um, to come to the front and have someone pray for you. And, and really, it's if you're saying, God, I just want to renew my commitment to you that here I am. Here I am. I'm in your hand. God, I want, I want to tell you again that I trust you. It might be for the first time you might for the first time be going, God, I've been living my way. I've been trying to shape myself, but I want to be shaped by you. It might be for the thousandth time. And for whatever reason, some people's journeys seem to have a lot of deconstruct and reconstruct in them. And some of us, that's our journey. But I want to invite you uh, to come now to the front, and we'll have people that will pray for you. And what they'll be doing is they'll be just splashing the water of the Holy Spirit on you just to kind of soften you up again so that you can be shaped. So we're going to sing. And I want to invite you, come now to the front. If that's you, come and we'll have some people pray for you and bless you. Come and show your response to God. Who's the first person to come? Because there's always the biggest blessing for the first person. Oh, it's a race. Oh, oh. There we go. Great, so let's sing. We'll invite you to come and people are going to pray 
for those who are responding.